Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. Shorty got low, 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 low. We're on? Oh, hey, live from the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who can't watch on television here, call them, tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com and they can check on the, click on the TV show and watch it live streaming video from anywhere in the world. In the house tonight, uh, not the largest group, but the most intelligent. We've discovered the most intelligent group. Mary Ellen, Glenn, Nathan, Derek, Jeff, Richard Brems, who says Magna Rules, JJ, Zach, and Josh. They come four, from four and a half hours south all the way to see the show from New Harmony, Utah. We have Jed, Dave, Nancy, Nathan, a fine group. Glad to have them all here. All right, American Fork, <clears throat> Monday, April 7th, we're coming to your town, and uh, for our traveling pastor from 6 to 8, we'll be at Jim's Family Restaurant, and the address is there on the screen, and then we're going to be doing baptisms, an open baptism, if you wish to be baptized and profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to come and we'll announce where that will be at Jim's Family Restaurant. Lord's Word, uh, we have a parachurch, we call it a, not a parrot church, but a parachurch, and um, we hold it at the Gateway Megaplex every Sunday morning from 9.15 to 10.15, and it's growing quickly, and <clears throat> what we do there is we worship the Lord, we pray together, and we have a message out of the Word, and we started at Matthew 1.1. We're now Matthew 14, and we just go through and we learn the Bible. So if you have a church that you're happy with, and or if you even have a church that you're having some problems with, you don't have to leave your church and come to us. Don't. But if you haven't been going to church, or if you've been looking for somewhere where you can learn the Word and have fellowship and come to a place where you can meet like-minded believers, uh, please come and join us at Lord's Word. You can go to www.lordsword.org. For directions and times, we also meet at the University of Utah on Sunday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m. Last week, I ran or uh, talked about a number of success stories that were heartening to hear. Let me take a moment and give you a, a word of encouragement, a cause to hope. The Lord works in mysterious ways, and in my opinion, um, especially in relation to Mormonism, He is bringing families out of the LDS church, families who are coming to know the Lord, and he does it one by one. So if you are worried about what will happen to my family if I, if I leave Mormonism and come to find the Lord in a relationship with him, what will happen to that family? I want to tell you, the one comes out, and then people start following. 
Many of you uh, remember nearly two years ago a woman named Lucy from Logan who came to a heart in the park and she uh, came to know the Lord through the experience of, of the show. And then um, a few months ago, Lucy's daughter, Margaret, uh, came uh, to give her life to the Lord and is on fire with learning uh, the word and uh, understanding him and what happens to somebody once they've accepted the Lord in their life. And last week, Lucy's other daughter, Catherine, who was at one time contemplating marriage to a, uh, a man in a polygamous uh, group down south, she came to the Lord. This is just a sample, an example of what is occurring all over the state in families. We have uh, emails telling us that. We praise the Lord, his work, the joy that he is sending to people in this state. Um, and so I just wanted to share that with you. Don't fear. And we rejoice with you, Catherine and Margaret and Lucy. There are a few consistencies we hear from the LDS regarding our ministry and television programs. One of the things that we hear often, even by callers, is the LDS claim that their leaders and missionaries respect all religions. They love all people. They love everybody. They never pick on people. They never poke fun of them. What's wrong with you, Sean McCraney, in this, this horrible show where you mock people? Well, uh, I want to uh, have you check out. I recently received a copy of a Salt Lake Tribune article which reveals the bigoted actions of some LDS missionaries, representatives of the church, young men who represent both Mormonism and the Lord to the world. Now, I think we have a graphic that's going to show you some of those pictures. This is a sacred Catholic uh, statue, the one missionary has, uh, that he's holding in his hands, and it has been removed from the statue. Uh, in the, I guess it's a, a cemetery, it looks like, or some kind of garden. The other one is they went into a Catholic church, and he's holding up a Book of Mormon and preaching from the Book of Mormon from behind where the priest stands. Is there a second, uh, second third picture? No. So I just wanted to give you some actual, that, those pictures came out on the internet, and the LDS church is naturally apologizing for them, and I don't think all LDS people do that, but I just want you to see that even their emissaries of the Lord that they say, who go knocking on your door, who never make fun of other religions, make fun of them all the time, okay? And we have pictures here where their church is now apologizing for it. Okay, some announcements. Rooted and raised in the Truth Conference, the Aletheia True Conference coming up. Just want to remind you, you can go and learn all about uh, from some great Bible scholars. It's going to be held on Friday evening and Saturday, April 11th and 12th. There is a cost. It's at the E-Center. Parking is free. And you can get more information at www.alatheatruth.com. It's on your screen. So if you want to participate in that, we would recommend it. Another thing that's coming up is... Um, there we go, uh, is Rain Down USA. And what it is, this is a national um, prayer day on April 26, 08, from 4 to 7 p.m. And I guess out of Washington, D.C., Michael Smith is going to be praying while the nation prays together, unitedly. And then from, uh, I mean, from 4 to 6, that will happen. And then from 6 to 7 here in Utah, 
there is going to be a prayer for the state of Utah located at the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Sandy, Utah. If you want more information, just look down at the bottom of the screen, www.raindownusa.com, and it's a time for everybody, no matter what their beliefs, to pray for the nation and help us repent for the place we've gotten ourselves and uh, call out to the Lord together, unitedly, and that's something that's going on, so we wanted to promote that. Finally, there is another thing on May 30th through the 31st. There's an email address, uh, I mean, an uh, internet site, www.compassionateboldness.com. This is a conference where they're going to be training and talking to people about how to interact in a compassionate but bold way with the LDS. They're going to have some very noteworthy speakers there, Sandra Tanner, Ross Anderson, uh, a number of others who will be there to help you understand. Uh, I'm not on that list. I'm highly offended. No, actually. Uh, but anyway, uh, we do recommend it because anytime you can learn skills on how to relate to your LDS neighbors, it's a good thing. If you want to know more information about that, um, engage the Mormon culture with compassionate boldness. Go to www.compassionateboldness.com. And I think that would be a worthwhile event to go to as well. So all kinds of things uh, available to you here. Listen, my thanks to Dave and Andy and Gary for a recent United States Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration report. Uh, this report came out, and I guess uh, the U.S. Administration of Health Services did an uh, in-depth study on drug use, illegal drug use in every state of the nation, as well as mental illness. Uh, this is a quote from... Um, uh, AOL News, it says the report found rates of underage drinking in 2005 and 2006 ranged from a low of 21.5% in Utah to a high of 38.3% in Vermont. That's good news. Then the next line says, yet Utah had the highest rate of adults reporting serious psychological problems at 14.4% in the same period compared with Hawaii, which had the lowest of 8.8%. Uh, it is a well-known, established fact that Utah leads the nation in Prozac and uh, psychotropic drug use, meaning prescribed use to handle depression, anxiety, and all the things that come along with living in a predominantly uh, legalistic situation where you have to constantly prove your worthiness and righteousness. And I believe there's a direct tie my scientific mind is really ugly and, and uh, uneducated, but I do believe there is a strong connection to mental illness, depression, anxiety, and living under a system that has been created by uh, man in order to get through. Finally, the uh, once known RLDS, which is now the Community of Christ, has discovered, it's not a photograph, it's a derograph, which they believe is possibly of Joseph Smith Jr., this may be the first uh, derograph we have uh, seen. They're trying to verify. Many people believe this is him. And uh, it's just come out. Someone emailed it to me, and there's strong inclination it is. My um, fellow pastor, Kevin, pointed out that this man doesn't have big, broad shoulders, and Joseph Smith is always described as having broad shoulders. So I question that just in and of itself. But if that's him, it's uh, very interesting, and we'll be giving you an update as to where that goes from here. All right, let's have a word of prayer. 
Lord, we love you and thank you. We pray your spirit will be with me. Help me to say the things that are going to help the listeners and viewers understand your ways relative to your gospel versus what has been sold to them as the truth. Uh, Lord, we pray for hearts to open. We pray for this station and are grateful for all. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've talked about the preexistence in LDS theology, the nature of God, Trinity versus polytheism, Satan, the location of the Garden of Eden, and two weeks on the LDS views regarding the fall of Adam, including the Adam-God doctrine. We're going to conclude tonight with a wrap-up of LDS teachings, which are a direct byproduct of their teachings on the fall, and which are also in direct opposition to what the Bible teaches us. Because of the LDS view of how the fall occurred, they have some other things that naturally fall in place which are doctrinally errant. These byproducts include how they view the sin nature in everybody, their doctrine and understanding of spiritual rebirth and how that comes through in their teachings, and their, and their idea on the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me address these one by one. Because the fall of Adam was a good thing to the LDS, a fall upward as they like to call it, and was a necessary event in order for Adam and Eve to learn how to have babies, the children of Adam and Eve, you and I, are not born sinful in Mormonism, but are instead born innocent and pure and literally children of Heavenly Father from the beginning. The LDS popular hymn, which you've heard me sing before on here, says, I am a child of God, and he has sent me here, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. People who believe in a higher power but lack exposure or understanding to the Bible generally come to a similar conclusion concerning God. They usually say, I'm a God's child. He's my, he, I'm God's child automatically without knowing what the Bible says about that. It's normative to assume that us human beings who are so lofty and good are just automatically God's children and he can't help but just, just love us to death. That's kind of the idea within Mormonism and outside of it for people who don't understand the Bible. But the Bible tells us something different. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Galatians 3.26 says, Ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. You become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. If the world doesn't know him, and John is speaking to believers, it shows that believers are called the sons and daughters of God, but the people who don't know the Lord are not sons and daughters of God. And Romans 8, 14 says, but as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Bible is manifestly clear that nobody save Jesus Christ has ever been born a son or daughter or child of God by right or as an heir, but they only become such 
through faith in him. The LDS interpretation is just another gospel and is perhaps one of the most dangerous and misleading doctrines of their religion. Now, because the LDS believe that everyone on earth is born a child or son of God, they reject the Bible teaching that human beings are born in sin. They believe they're born innocent. Psalms 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This was David talking. Job 5.7 says, Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Psalms 58.3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. And Ephesians 2.3 says, Among whom also we had our conversation in times past with the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We are born, look at a child. They are born children of wrath. They are born curly-headed monsters. They have to be regenerated. This is why Jesus said to, to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You don't come into this world as a child of God, holy, walking on, on uh, clouds. You're born into a sinful state. Now, let me make this clear. Little children are born in sin and are sinful by nature, but because they are self-willed and because they are selfish and violent and angry and full of gluttony and greed and lies and all those things, they are not accountable for this sin nature. And if they're taken by death, they are saved by the grace, the blood of God. Okay, because they are born in a sinful state and they are sinful, it doesn't mean they're accountable because they don't know what they're doing. The grace of God steps in there, and that is one of the beauties of what Jesus did for us. Nevertheless, they are, as the poet wrote, curly-headed monsters, and they must be born again to become a true child of God once they are accountable. The Jews thought it was 12 years of age. Uh, so I don't know what the answer is to that, but that was their thought. The LDS have an interesting approach to the subject because their focus for curing or teaching children is on parenting and on a, a child's allegiance to the church and not on spiritual rebirth. They do not teach spiritual rebirth. Like a stain remover under the kitchen sink, the blood of Jesus in most LDS homes is there to clean up mistakes and sins of an individual only when used in conjunction with a heavy dose of their own elbow grease to remove the stains of sin. When a person is born in sin, the onus to remove the sin falls upon the uh, author of life, God. When a person is born clean, the onus to remove their sin falls upon the individual. Do you understand the difference there? That is such an important difference when it comes to the soteriology or how uh, Christians and Latter-day Saints experience salvation. Lewis Sperry Chafee said, quote, anyone can devise a plan by which good people can go to heaven. Only God can devise a plan whereby sinners, which are his enemies, can go to heaven. That is a very important and applicable saying. Um, this leads us to the title of our book in ministry, Born Again Mormon. 
While the Book of Mormon does teach about being spiritually reborn, and it has themes that go along with the 19th century experience of rebirth and revival, clapping hands and falling down and being slain in the spirit, all these things are included in the Book of Mormon because that's what Joseph Smith uh, occurred. The imperative to be born again um, is not taught in Mormonism because his later doctrines... They, they kind of erased the need when he started teaching about this pre-existence and everything else. And it all comes back to the fall. A son or daughter of God spiritually and without sin uh, is how they view themselves. So why would they need to be spiritually regenerated? Then you add into the mix that some sins are not as serious as other sins. And this makes spiritual rebirth even more unnecessary to them. There are LDS people who have very high serotonin levels because of genetics and who have very good parenting and come from good homes. And they walk through life, one, believing they were born a child of God without sin. They have these really good moral lives, and they, some of them do. And they die thinking, well, I, I barely did anything wrong. I'm okay, Jesus, thank you very much. But And they never really see that a teaspoon of sin will keep them out of heaven as well as a truckload of sin, okay? All right, uh, Titus 3, 3, 8. I'm gonna take the time really quickly to read this because I think what it does is it lays out who we are and then what happens to us as we come to know the Lord, and then where works play into salvation. You ready? For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now, does that sound like somebody who was a child of God from birth? Now, this is in the Bible, and it's describing you. You were some of those things. I don't care how good of an LDS person you are or were. This is you, and it was me, and still is me sometimes. And then it says, but after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, after the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared. And how did it appear? Not by works of righteousness, it says, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hope appeared not because of our works of righteousness. It says we were deceived and bad and ugly and all this. And then what happens? God shed his love upon us and this love comes down. And because of this, we suddenly have the Holy Ghost when we see what he's done for us. And then it said that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this grace comes in and suddenly we become his children, his spirit, I mean, his uh, sons and daughters, and we're made heirs to that throne. Now here comes the part where the LDS think, uh, uh, where the LDS might start to agree. This is a faithful saying, and these things I can, I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So do you see the process? We start off as vile sinners. God sends his son, even though we are vile sinners, and his love is shed upon us. The Holy Ghost comes upon us and transforms us. And then he says, a faithful saying is that, is that we would believe in God and then be careful to maintain good works. That's the process of rebirth. And that's what he's teaching us. Do you see that order in Titus 3? We were reprobates. 
not saved because of our righteousness, made heirs because of his, and then careful to maintain good works. The final twist in belief the LDS have proposed over the years as a result of the fall, their view of the fall has to do with the virgin birth and the conception of Jesus Christ. Defenders of Mormonism today on the message boards and on the internet are constantly saying that the LDS don't believe this doctrine. They've never believed this doctrine. I want to tell you as a uh, lifelong member up to 40 years of age, I always believe this doctrine, was taught this doctrine, and anybody who is in the church and knows their doctrines at all knows this is the belief. This is the doctrine. Aside from the biblical references about the virgin birth that we find in Isaiah and that we find in the Gospels, um, Christians believe Jesus was born of a virgin because for him to have been born and conceived in any other way would have made him subject to the sinful nature that all the rest of us are subject to. That's the importance of the virgin birth. Whether doctrinally true or not, it makes sense when you hear the lines in a way in a manger. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I don't know if he cried or not, but that leads to the idea that he came through without that sinful nature impressed upon him like all the rest of us do. Again, had Jesus been conceived as other men are conceived, he would not have been the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Fittingly, a passage in Job reads, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Okay? But to the LDS who believe children are born innocent without sin and automatically a child of God, there is no theological need for a virgin birth or conception. This leads the LDS leaders to conclude that Jesus was in fact conceived and born the way each of us are, were conceived and born. Even without the following statements, the LDS view that God the Father has a body of flesh and bone will erase the idea of a virgin birth because they believe God the Father is the Father, not the Holy Spirit. But let's read some quotes that have been hotly debated as not teaching this idea that the Father is the one who made Jesus with Mary. Ready? Quote, God the Father became the literal Father of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only person on earth to be born of a mortal mother and an immortal father. That's from Gospel Principles, 1992, page 64. Quote, from Ezra Taft Benson, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the most literal sense. The body in which he performed his mission in the flesh was sired by the same holy being we worship as God, our eternal Father. Jesus was not the son of Joseph, nor was he begotten by the Holy Ghost. He is the son of the eternal father. That's from the Ensign Magazine, April 1997, Ezra Taft Benson, a prophet. Brigham Young was even more to the point, quote, The birth of our Savior was as natural as are the births of our children. It was the result of natural action. He partook of flesh and blood, was begotten of his father as we were of our father's uh, journal of discourse. McConkie gave a bunch of statements on it. I'm not going to cover them, but I want to go to somebody more modern. He's not an official representative of the church, but he's a BYU professor who's renowned for speaking. Stephen Robinson said in 1997, the official doctrine of the church is that Jesus is the literal offspring of God. He's got 46 chromosomes. 
23 came from Mary, 23 came from God, the eternal Father. To me, this infers the presence of God's sperm. And uh, they can dance around it. They can deny it publicly. It doesn't bode well in the national presence of, of political figures running for office. But this is what I was taught. This is what they believe. And this should come out strongly in the press. Before we go to the phones, let me remind the viewers and listeners about what the Bible says about the conception of Jesus. Luke 1.35, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. When Joseph, the, uh, his stepfather, was in turmoil of what to do with Mary as she was found pregnant, he too was mercifully instructed from where the Savior came from, Matthew 1.20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. In other words, the angel was saying, Joseph, don't fear. She remains a virgin. The child is from the Holy Spirit. Ezra Taft Benson, prophet of the LDS Church, said Jesus was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us that he was conceived of by the Holy Spirit. Again, who are you going to choose to believe? Let's go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, uh, 801-973-8820. We have a, the last time I'm going to take the call without some verification, Mr. John O'Fallon from Illinois. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. John. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, my comment tonight is this. Um, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I am a Christian, and I get tired of evangelicals and Protestants trying to define for me what it means for me to be Christian. Okay. I mean, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has the name of the Savior in the name of our church. Okay. Your church, what, what's the name of your church, Sean? Does it bear the Savior's name? Well, it could if I wanted it to. I, I could have called it the Church of Jesus Christ. I mean, but we call it Lord's Word. Um, the, the, the idea that it has to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint came from Joseph Campbell in the 1810s uh, saying in the revisionist movement that you have to have the name of Jesus Christ in the title of the church in order to be uh, a truly restored church to the earth, John. So Joseph did that simply to meet Joseph Campbell's, uh, Alexander Campbell's uh, requirements. Did you know that? But Sean, what gives you the right to define for me as a Latter-day Saint what it means to be Christian. I think that the church needs to define what Christianity is. Your church defines that? The church. That we should, that from now on, we should. Okay, where's, what, what's, where do you get the, the knowledge then, John? Do you use, what man, where do you get the source of, of uh, what's Christian and what's not? From the scriptures. Oh, what scriptures are you talking about? The four standard works, Sean. You know, oh, you know oh, what scriptures. I, well, I'm getting you to say it so that the audience understands. So, John, the problem is, though, uh, in, in classic biblical Christianity, the Bible is the manual. Joseph came along, and, I mean, I won't even touch the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants, but let's just look at the Pearl of Great Price. You're calling that equivalent to the Word of God? 
John, John, I have I have to tell you this, but if you want to put it on a scale, Christianity stands as far more in a position to justify what is Christian than Mormons do. The Book of Mormon is the most correct of any book that has ever been written. I just love you. I, I wish... I believe that. I know you believe it, John. And you know what? I, I want to ask you something. Uh, we have a lot of people who are saying you are not LDS. Now, now, why, why are these people who are defenders of the LDS church, why are they telling us that you're not LDS, John? Sean, I can't speak for anybody else. What do you think? You're, are you truly in a bishopric? I am, and I'm not a spokesman for the church. I know you're not a spokesman, but why are these people who defend the church apologists saying you can't be LDS? I don't know. You know why? I can't speak for those people. Because you're speaking your heart of what's in the heart of the LDS, and they're far more duplicitous, and they're apologists, and they spin. You at least, John, I respect you for at least calling us and giving us exactly what's in the heart of the LDS. Well, Sean, I'm a straight shooter. and I appreciate it. I can't speak for those people. I'm just telling you what I believe. I know you believe it. John? I'm speaking for the church. I'm speaking for myself and what my beliefs are. I understand, John. But when it comes to Christianity, there has been a model that did not leave this earth that is found in the Bible that we hold sacred and true, that God brought that Bible down, and in that is the manual for his body of believers. And what Joseph did, I'm sorry, but we stand in a better, in a better way. Joseph added all sorts of things to the definition of Christianity, John. He received revelation and inspiration from God, and he added, he built upon Christianity. He didn't change it, he didn't twist it, but he built upon it. And what gives you the right to define Christianity for me? What gives not, evangelicals I, and Protestants a right well, to tell me as a Latter-day Saint what it means to be a Christian? Well, we read the manual. We read the Bible. And see, when you read the Bible and it says one thing, but Joseph comes along and says something else, then of course we're going to call it into, into question, John. Joseph does not say something else, Sean. He, what Joseph taught is in complete harmony with the New Testament. Complete harmony. Okay. Um, we have done 104 shows, and probably 100 of those point out things that are inconsistent with the New Testament. That's your the, opinion. Okay. You know what? But th See, this is the problem. I am a non-denominational Christian. Baptists are denominational who don't even like me. Catholics I'll even throw in there. All of these different denominations, they all agree on some certain core issues, John. Why do you think all of them look at Mormonism and say, no, we're sorry. You've really thrown this out, man. Why do you suppose they all do that? What gives them to write the right? They read the manual. They what? read the Bible, John. What gives the right to all those denominations to define Christianity? Maybe okay, then should... let me turn it on you. How about Jehovah's Witnesses? Are they Christian? I don't know much about them, Sean. I can't say. That's a very convenient answer. Did you go on a mission? I did. And you don't know much about the Jehovah's Witnesses? Do you think they're Christian? I don't know enough about them to say. So if you learn more about them, you, you're saying you would be able to make a judgment on that? I, I can give an opinion on it. Okay. Well, I'm giving my opinion, and Christians give their opinion. They read the Bible, they read what Mormonism stands for, and they completely say Mormonism is out to lunch. Well, they're wrong. Well, okay, we can sit here and do this back and forth, but the, the principle is this. 
We go by the Bible, we trust it. You go by the Bible and three other books plus modern day revelation to guide you and you put your trust in those men and say they have received revelation when we have the word of God. John, the prophets and apostles will not lead us astray. The Lord will not allow okay. men. Let me ask you this, John, that being the case, we, we talked about this two weeks ago. I'm sorry to go on, but I think this is a good call. Listen, two weeks ago, we talked about the Adam-God doctrine. Now, you can call it a theory. I'll call it a theory out of respect for you, John. Brigham Young taught it as doctrine, categorically doctrine for a prophet, and they believed it in the LDS church for 50 years. Now, Spencer W. Kimball comes along and says it is not a doctrine. It's a false and pernicious lie. Did the prophet Brigham Young lead them astray, or was Spencer W. Kimball leading them astray? John, that was not doctrine. Okay, that, that was not doctrine. Brigham Young was not speaking as a prophet when he said that. That was just his opinion as a man. Okay, now, when, when we did our show two weeks ago, John, we gave statements from Brigham Young where he said, I speak doctrine, and unless I've changed it, it is the doctrine and the word of the Lord. He ha we have quotes from him on the show where he said the Lord has commanded and told him that the Adam-God doctrine is true. And he didn't correct it when it was put in the Journal of Discourses. Therefore, he tacitly gave it his approval that it was Mormon doctrine. For 50 years, Mormons died believing that Adam was God. 50 years, John. Did Brigham Young lead them astray? John, the prophets and apostles cannot lead this church astray because the Lord will remove them from their position. Oh, John, you that. put your faith in men, and that's what Joseph got people to do. But I'm glad to hear you say it. Is there anything else we want to say before we go off? No, that's it. Just to... John, how's your wife doing? Well, I don't want to bring her into this. Is she still watching the show? I don't have anything to say about that, Sean. Sorry. All right. Listen, you know what? I appreciate your candor and your honesty, and I appreciate your opinions. Call back and give us other thoughts, and we'll continue to dialogue. At least you're honest, and I appreciate that greatly. Okay. All right, John. God bless you. Bye-bye. I love John. I just do. Provo, oh, I mean Provo from Marcus, first-time caller. Marcus from Provo. Uh, Marcus, you're on Heart of the Matter. Thanks a lot, Sean. Hey, you have to turn oh, your you TV down, Marcus. Oh, yeah, sorry, she mentioned that. Sorry, sorry. Hey, Sean, uh, I am uh, Marcus, a born-again Christian, saved out of Islam. Whoa! I, so, uh, I'm sure you know me, you remember me. I'm uh, from Africa. So, uh, Sean, yeah, I think I have to make it quick. Yes. Um, my salvation is unconditional, and I cannot lose it, because I received Jesus for the right reason. Right? I'm a vile, wicked sinner. I deserve hell. But the faith that I put in the Lord Jesus Christ saved me because of the work that he did. So Jesus said no one can pluck me out of, you know, no one can pluck, you know, believers out of his hands. Yes. So, so then, do you believe that your salvation is conditional or unconditional? Well, uh, I believe that salvation is uh, not uh, a conditional or unconditional thing, but I believe that you can turn from it. And I think that the salvation is sure. Jesus made sure of that when he said it's finished. I mean, that is done. But um, there are far too many scriptures in the New Testament that show you that people can turn from their salvation. 
And so I, but I don't like to go down that road. So this is what I say. If there's a Christian who is really trying to know the Lord and follow the Lord and has some issues in their life, but their heart is really to know the Lord, then I preach security in the salvation of Jesus Christ and faith by him. And if I meet a Christian who says, yes, I'm saved and I, I just sleep with my girlfriend and I uh, party on, brother, yeah, rock, I'm saved, Jesus is cool, then I preach they're going to hell. So, uh, you know, I, it's one or the other, and I think that's what the scripture teaches. Okay, okay, uh, I see. Let me just make one comment, then i let you go on to another caller. So here, okay. uh, in John chapter 6, you got disciples who were following Jesus for the wrong reason. They yeah. followed Jesus for what they could get out of him, okay? Yeah. So basically, they thought that they would get a free lunch, you know, every afternoon, and Jesus said, basically said that, you know, you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. So then basically what happened there is uh, they said, okay, well, we can't, you know, we, we, don't, we don't want to do that. So they left, following for the wrong reason. So I follow Jesus not because I want to be happy, but because there's a judgment coming, and then I cannot go to none else but him. So he, when the, the other fake disciples leave, the true disciples are asked, will you also go away? That's 667. Then Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So you and I, you know, we know there's a judgment coming, right? We're guilty. We broke God's commandment. So if we abide in Christ, right, so we will have eternal life. If we abide in Christ. That's exactly right, Marcus. Good point. Like I said, if I fall away, like you said, if I turn away from Jesus, it's because that was lip service. I was never saved. Okay, I see. Marcus, what Marcus, what is the what is the true purpose of the call though? I mean, what are you what are you trying to get across the audience that's listening right now? Because I really like your show. I've been watching it for a year, but I just heard disappointed when uh, I just heard you said, you know, that uh, people can someone can lose his salvation because oh, another wow. gospel is like it's uncondition it's conditional. So you're going to you're going to call up and you're disappointed that I didn't support your uh, pet Calvinistic view, which came from John Calvin, and you're going to call and you're going to then confuse the hell out of everybody and make them wonder whether they're saved or they're not saved or everything else. I don't appreciate it. I think it's oh, a ridiculous, Marcus, I think it's a ridiculous call, and I'm going to tell the audience why by reading from the word when I hang up from you, okay? okay? But you're not doing a good service to the body of Christ in Utah who is having trouble enough understanding just the basics than for you to call and make some big thing that's based on uh, the, the five points of Calvinism. I don't like it. Marcus, I'm going to let you go. I'll talk to you later. Listen, from 1 Corinthians, it says, Nay, ye do wrong and defraud that your brother know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers with themselves, with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, no drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye were washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to one more, Hebrews 9, 26. This is a very important scripture. Hebrews 9, 26, talking about your uh, eternal secure salvation. Are you ready? For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wrong. I'm going to take a minute because I think it's important. Okay, Hebrews. Where is it, Kevin? Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, here we go. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him in open shame. Marcus, your argument is just shot. It's just shot. Don't call again with it. Let's go to Chris in Bountiful. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Thanks for taking my phone call. Hey, I first little comment here. Uh, people that don't think that John in Illinois um, isn't really truly a Mormon or yes. exists. Yes. Oh, they exist and have lived by many people that talk exactly like him. So, it, isn't that true? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm from Utah and born and raised in Salt Lake, now moved out to Bountiful, and they <laughs> absolutely exist. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I have many neighbors that sound just like him. They do. But my question is for you. Last week, you kind of touched on polygamy um, and how the LDS, you know, the, the Mormons say, stop doing polygamy. So why, my question is, is it true that a man, uh, an LDS man, can still take more than one woman through the temple? Yes. Is that true? That is absolutely true. Well, then, so why do they say that polygamy is not existing anymore? I mean, so how do, they, how do they figure when they say you're sealed to that person or whatever in heaven, how, how, or that you're going to live with them? What do they do? Like the first wife choice? Or, you know, what, how, can does you that, see the how does that work? Can you see the screen? It's spin. It's yeah, just yeah. pure spin. But a, a woman can't take more than one man through, right? Well, you know what? I just learned that, that a woman can. They ha I don't think um, they make it a practice, but they are allowing women to be sealed for time and all eternity to a second husband now. And uh, this, is, this is relatively new. I think within the past five years, I didn't know about it till the show, and someone emailed me and someone called, and they're verifying this. I've never really checked it out. I guess I should. But it certainly is a practice for men. And that may have been a political move to take the, the onus off polygamy and make it look just like, well, we're going to let the Lord sort all it out, whether you're male or female. Well, that just makes no sense. But they have always, men have always been able to have more than one wife sealed to them in the temple, even after the, manifest, uh, the manifesto in, uh, the, in 1906, the final one. They've always been able to have more. Oh, that's just bizarre. That's yeah. just, that is so bizarre to me because they say they don't believe in polygamy anymore. I know. That, to me, sounds like polygamy. If they really believe that they're going to go on to the, into, the, into the hereafter, well, then... Shouldn't they just have one wife? Yes, they should. And you, you know what else, Chris? Case in point, Gordon B. Hinckley recently died. Two wives sealed to him. Two. And and no doubt about it, he was a polygamist. And he is and expected he to be. Before? To, what? Then to, what was her name? Marjorie, his first, his second wife? He second was married wife. Before? Yeah, he was married before, yeah. <gasps> oh, wow. There's info. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but they don't practice. They don't believe in polygamy. They don't practice polygamy. I don't right. get that. I don't understand that. I've had a few friends that had to grant their divorced husband a temple divorce or something like that. Yeah. And and uh, yet they can't go through because I I have never heard that either that a woman can be. Seen. I've heard that men can be. That's what has always just yes. so bizarre to me. That's just. Great call, Chris. Well, God bless you, Sean. I absolutely love your show, and we watch you every week. God bless you. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye, bye bye. 
We're going to Johnny, first time caller in Brigham City. Johnny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, what's going on, buddy? Not much. How you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, uh, the guy from, what, what is it? The guy from Missouri is uh, the John from Missouri. Illinois, yeah. Illinois, John from Illinois. All right. Well, I think that, you know, living in Utah in a small town of Brigham City, we all, as Christians, deal with, um, you know, the doubt, the ridicule, the, our kids aren't allowed to play with your kids because your kids aren't Mormon, and my kids go through it every day, and, it, you know, it's, it's tough on them. My kids don't like to go to my church because we're Christians, and when they go to Grandma's church, it's, it's fun because all the kids know them in the CLDS church, so they're rather confused. But anyway, <clears throat> I just wanted to call because I read a book. I was reading a book by Reese Howells called Intercessor, and in that book it said that our extremities are God's opportunities. Huh. And I think we've really come to an extreme. I've been watching your show for about the last year now. And we just, people know the truth. They've read the books. Anyone who's studied the LDS faith for more than, say, two weeks knows that there's a lot of faults. That there's that nothing lines up. It's just right. a bunch of, it's lie after lie after lie. So we've come to our extremity, and I believe that it's just, it's time to start praying. It's time to hit our knees and start interceding. It's time to start fasting, and it's time to start praying. And let God intervene in our extremity. Does that make sense? I love it. I love it, Johnny. I mean, it's going to start from grassroots like you there in Brigham City. Let's just get, a, just get it going. Little small fires across the state, people gathering in groups, praying for the, the state religion, Mormonism to crack, to fall, the doctrines to fall. I think it's a wonderful idea. Head it up. I'll be completely behind you. All right, man. You got my back. <laughs> okay. I hope you have mine. <laughs> All right. Hey, I got yours. God bless you, man. God bless you, Johnny. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Kevin in West Jordan. Kevin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yeah, Sean, I want to get a Mormon answer in regard to uh, how Jesus was sired by Father God. In the fact that Mary was betrothed to Joseph and couldn't, um, uh, had to, to remain pure under that uh, thing, I want to know whether I should as a Christian, if I should categorize what happens between God the Father and Mary as fornication or as adultery. Oh, and I would like to get a Mormon to give me the answer, because I'm having some difficulties with this. With wow. this. And I'll let you go. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a good point. You know, what many people don't understand is when a woman was betrothed in the Jewish community, that was as good as marriage. They didn't consummate it through relations, but, I mean, that was why the shame was so big and so scary. And uh, so it's really actually a good point. And it's really unfortunate that it has to even be discussed. I wish, you know, they would just wake up and just renounce this stuff. I got to make a plea. Hey, Thomas Monson, President Monson, you can say, you can get up and say, we used to teach uh, the conception of Jesus was through the Father. We were wrong. We used to teach polygamy was necessary. We were wrong. We used to teach this and this and this and this, and we've been wrong in all these things. We want to repent. Please come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's come to him and prepare ourselves for the last days here because the world is headed toward it. And, and you can do that, President Monson. And if you do it, you're going to lose 20% of your members. But you're going to retain a core group that are going to be stronger and ready to meet the Lord. And then when you face the Lord, you will have actually done something that is worthy of a prophet's name. 
So I know it sounds a little sarcastic. I'm not being sarcastic. I pray people across this, this world pray that this church will fall and you'll release the stronghold you have on these people's hearts and lives. This mental stronghold like you have on John. What a good guy. He wants to be honest. He is a true believer. And he believes in all this stuff that that guy whose picture, possibly picture, we showed you earlier. I'm so sorry for that. Diana and Sandy. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? How, pretty good. I, I get a little bit upset, I suppose, as other Christians do when we hear John on the line. Yeah. Um, I think a, a comment or a question to him would be, how does he line up the first commandment with Mormonism? The first commandment with Mormonism. Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Well, it, you, can, you want me to play devil's advocate? Yeah. I'll play Mormon advocate. Okay. <laughs> well, Diane, uh, we don't put any gods before him. Yes, we acknowledge that there's a possibility there could be other fathers. Prophets have taught that. But God is the only God with which we have to do. Wow. That's what they'll say. It's sad. Yeah. It is really sad. And what you have are these echelons of, of knowledge, and you get these hierarchies of high priests who they just, oh, we know God's father, father and they, they just they talk about all these highfalutin theologies, and, and um, it just exists. Well, I'm wondering, Sean, when they talk about Mormon, themselves as a Mormon being a Christian, I'm thinking that they're talking about good behavior rather than a belief system. I think you're right about that. I think they include the belief in Jesus Christ, which they have, a belief in Jesus Christ, but they just don't have the right guy. They don't have the right gospel. But they do. So when you say you don't believe in Jesus, it freaks them out because, like John said, his name is in the title of the church. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm wondering um, how it would work when John says he's a Christian for him to define that so we all can hear what his definition is of it. Well, J John, if you're watching oh. the show, I, I, we invite you to call back next week and define for us what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. All right, excellent. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Diane. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Adam in Salt Lake City. Adam, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good, how are you? Hey, uh, just to let you know, this is Adam that goes to God's Word with his father. Shout out to my dad, Wally. All right, Wally. Yeah. Hey, I uh, just got a quick question, just more of a you know intuitive question here. Yeah. I'm trying to read through the Bible front to back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Genesis starts off pretty weird to me from all the other books, right? Mm-hmm. My theory is Genesis is pretty old. I don't know if it talks about, you know, the time frame of a million years or, you know, a couple thousand years. Got Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden, yep. right? Yep. Getting uh, a sword and a cherubim kind of, you know, guarding the gates. Yep. And then you have stories throughout that's talking about angels having intercourse with uh, the women uh, and creating giants, the Nephilim. Yeah. And it just, I'd like to hear your opinion on that. I just, I think it's odd. It's so different from the rest of the Bible. I think it almost represents, like Genesis represents maybe... 90% of the time frame before the written word of the Bible, you know, the rest of the Bible. 
and to hear your theory on that. Wow, it, it would be a theory, uh, really not. It would, and I'm researching the Bible enough to see, you know, uh, when Abraham, I'm reading this book called Abraham. Someone, Adam, just gave me a, an entire book on the Nephilim, and uh, I haven't had a chance to crack it open. And what that happens, and then, you know, you hear about all this stuff of giant skeletons getting, you know, picked up in the world. And yeah. I just think it's interesting that the Bible will talk about that. Yeah. And uh, I know it's Old Testament, and I think it's very old, but just to see what you think about, like, where, it, what that meant in Genesis, because it's a very important book. It's how it starts, you it, know? It is. It's definitely not exhaustive. God doesn't tell us very much in that book about how he does things. The spans between the chapters are just enormous. But, uh, you know, we should talk. We should get together after Lord's Word and sit down and talk. I'm not skilled enough on the Nephilim. I've got to... Right. Got... No, no, I know. And I'm the camouflage pants guy that just says... I know who you are. Okay. Yeah. And I, I just think it's very interesting, and a lot of people should maybe, you know, I don't know, open their minds to that stuff. I, I'm all about Jesus in the whole New Testament, but there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in the Old Testament that... I mean, it's in the Bible, I guess. I mean, well, you, you called us with the craziest, I have to tell you, you know. So, uh, okay, yeah. Sean, I, I just wanted to hear your theory, man. That's all. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about it uh, after Lord's Word sometime. Sounds good. Next Sunday. Okay. God bless you. Hey, bro. Bye-bye. We have 1 minute 51 seconds. We're going to Devin. Devin, you have 59 seconds. Okay. I don't think Devin's going to hit 59 seconds. I got it, man. Hey, I just basically want to address what John had to say. Okay. And uh, I've, I've talked to you a few times, and uh, we get the attitude uh, where they say that how are we to judge them as not Christians? Well, uh, in the book of Corinthians, the first book, he says, you know, you are spiritual and judge all things mm. according to the wisdom of, of the gospel. Also, they don't want to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. You know, and LDS people, they seem to be abhorrent to the cross, and, and he says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who perish, but to those of us who are saved, it is God's power. Mm -hmm. And I think with you, you tend to shoot holes in their armor, and as that goes out there, they feel like they have to respond and prove you wrong because they're under conviction. I think you're right. Basically firing darts in there, and John's an awesome guy, but he's confused and he seems to be struggling. Yes, he does, and we'll keep praying for him. Dem, we're out of time. It's a great call. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Okay, bye-bye. And, you know, I think uh, he makes a very good point. Listen, go to www.bornagainmormon uh, if you want to get on the board, post comments, thoughts, whatever it might be. Also, join us at Lord's Word. Uh, Sunday mornings, 9.15 at the Gateway Theaters, downtown Salt Lake City, the University of Utah, at, from uh, 7 to 8 at night. Until then, God bless you. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
my rusty cage. Oh, yeah.